I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. It's October, everybody, and we're doing clay court tennis in Paris from home, waking up at 2 a.m. here in California, but enjoying the tennis and enjoying being part of the final Grand Slam of 2020. And let's, let's be frank here. Just happy that we're getting one in. It's not perfect by any means. We never thought it was going to be. But you know what? It's been pretty damn awesome. Through five days, through two rounds. Round of 32 will begin tomorrow. Um, Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, is going to join me in moments. And we'll talk about what we've seen in those first five days. Some of the storylines. Novak and Rafa holding court as well as Dominic Team. A little bit of chaos in the women's side with... Eight players ranked outside of the top 100 into the round of 32, but also a lot of variety and a lot of excitement on the women's side. We'll talk about uh, Leila Fernandez of Canada, who's through her third round for the first time. We'll talk about Simona Halep, who's going to face Amanda Anisimova in a a rematch of last year's quarterfinal, which was won by Anisimova in decisive fashion. So that's going to be interesting to see if the 2018 champion and top seed can come through there. Whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We're excited. It's tennis on the red clay. And what could be better than that, even if it is October? So let's talk with Richard right now. Richard Pagliaro is here. We're going to break down, what is it, the first two rounds of Roland Garros, the first five days. It's been fun. And we're going to have fun talking about it. What's up, Richard? Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Chris. I'm really excited uh, what we've seen so far, especially on the men's side. We've seen a lot of the favorites looking really sharp, so that sets us up for a really exciting second week, I think. Yeah, men's side favorites. Um, It's not like it was at the U.S. Open, right? This is pretty much about the big two plus Dominic team. Yeah, and like we were talking earlier, I really feel like even though Novak and Rafa couldn't play until the final, it's almost like they're playing each other round by round, putting up these dominating scores. It's almost like I'm going to one-up you, with, you know, lose less. I mean, some of these sets there, he's just rolling through them. So it's been impressive, and also Novak, the use of the drop shot, he's really used it effectively. He hits the ball so deep, he backs you up way behind the baseline. That drop shot is almost indefensible if you're 10 feet behind the baseline. Yeah, Novak would drop five games against Ricardas Barrancas today. That was day five. And then yesterday it was Nadal just crushing American Mackenzie McDonald, dropping four games. Who do you think looked better? Or would you just call it a toss-up and let's wait a few more rounds to see what happens? I'd call it a toss-up only in the sense that I don't think of Barrancas or or Mackie McDonald. I like both of them. I just don't think of them, Clay, as their strong suit because they're both kind of flatter hitters, better on hard court. So I think it's hard to 
sort of assess based on those. For, but I think by the time we get to week two, uh, we'll have a better idea. Although I do think Novak's draw to me, it, it just looks more comfortable. It does, huh? Well, speaking of yeah. draws, let's talk about a guy with a, a very tough draw. Dominic Team um, already had Marin Cilic in the first round. Yesterday he got by Tommy Paul. Not so easily. And then um, tomorrow it's going to be Casper Ruud, and it could be Stan the man, the Stanimal after that. Um, wh- how do you see things shaping up for Dominic, the U.S. Open or, champion? Or the resurgent Stan, too. Stan is looking like Stan wants to take no prisoners out there. Yeah, Dominic, uh, you know, look, Sock, that, that's a tough man. I mean, Sock, we all know what he can do. He's a former top 10 player, and I thought he handled that well, especially in the third set breaker where he was down and he came back strong. And you and I were talking earlier, I think that match is going to set him up nicely for Casper uh, Ruud because it's a similar style where he's going to really be trying to break down the backhand but it should be I think that'll be a real I think that the next match is going to tell us a little bit about more about where teams at because Casper obviously coming off the Rome semi where he had the set point against Nova I mean he's a really really talented and tough clay core player so I think that's going to be good for team I think the whole thing for team is going to be really managing the um, the physicality of week one and trying to stay away from these long draining matches we saw what happened to uh, uh, Chapo today where he wasn't able to get through in five even though he served for it twice so I think he's going to try to avoid those long matches and Root is coming off the five setter uh, against Tommy Paul so that should be really interesting I think it'll be more of a physical test and then if he does get through that the stand match is really going to be a war I think the way stands look so far, and if it's really, really heavy conditions, Stan's such a strong guy. I mean, he, I, I think those conditions are good for Stan. Uh, thank you for clarifying, because I, I said that team played Tommy Paul, so let's uh, make sure people don't get confused. It was Paul playing Casper Rude. They went five sets, and Rude won, and that's a good matchup for the third round, as you said. It could, yeah, it could be a good litmus test to see where teams at, and if he's pushed physically, it might be, make things harder for him, especially with the Stanimal potentially after that. And, I mean, you know, Ideally, he wants to get to the semis where he would likely face Rafa. He wants to have some energy if he does that. And let's not forget, this isn't just about this tournament. This is about this guy coming off the U.S. Open, and team has been busy as he normally has. Even during quarantine, he played a lot of exhibitions. So he even admits that he's probably going to hit the wall at some point. He hopes it's after this tournament, but you have to watch out, and you definitely need to focus on uh, if he gets to these matches quicker, he'll be better off. But I've said that before about him, and it doesn't seem to matter. The guy's just a beast. He is a beast, and he's one of the fittest guys in the game, but you're absolutely right. If you added in those exhibitions, I know they're exhibitions. It's not the same pressure, but he's probably played, including the exhibitions, more than anybody. And then not having the clay tournament after the Open, because obviously you need to rest after that, that's a bit telling, whereas you know, people say, well, Rafa's short on matches too, but Rafa's practicing on on clay you know in my orchid obviously different conditions but still i think just having that practice is gonna it's gonna help rafa and after all the you know the pre-tournament stuff about the balls the conditions rafa's just rafa i mean he just looks like rafa he looks like he's here to win so that's great to see yeah isn't that funny how um there's so much talk about the conditions and yet you don't really know how what's going to happen with the conditions and who it's going to favor. I mean, we speculate so much, like we were talking earlier. Madison Keys is going to be great in these heavy conditions. Such and such a player is going to do this. And then when once the, the, the tennis starts happening, you find out maybe it doesn't matter as much as you thought because tennis is about being crafty, being cunning and, cunning and winning matches any way you can. But, I mean, it's been fun to kind of see which players it's favored and which players it hasn't, don't you think? 
Absolutely, and I think also if it does remain, if it does, although these last few days have been much, much better, if it does get damp and breezy, you know, and the roof comes into play, that, that could help Novak theoretically down the road, but like you said, we got to get there first. Can I throw a stat that I just had my crack staff look at for me, and it's this. Stan the Man has won three straight from Dominic Team. Did yeah, you know that? Yeah, no, I didn't off the top of my head. No, yeah, I didn't. I just Googled it, and it's, it says that he beat him in Paris in 2014 in straight sets on an indoor hard. Then he got him in Rome on clay, 2015. That was a big year for Stan. He'd go on to win Roland Garros that year. And then he beat him at Indian Wells in 2017. I mean, it's a long time ago, but um, Stan clearly... Uh, it's a good matchup for him. At least it was three years ago. And also, let's let's remember Stan coming off that Musetti, where Musetti pounded him in Rome, and then he you know splits with Magnus Norman. Everyone's like, well, what the hell's going on with Stan? And then Stan just comes in and throws a hammer down through the first few matches here, and he looks like the Stan we all know and love watching. So I think that's great. I mean, Stan's one of those guys. Anytime you try to count him out, he's got an answer. Yeah, and a good point. And, and since we're talking about conditions a little bit, it seemed to me from watching that first match where he absolutely blitzed Andy Murray and Murray only won six games, which is the least games he's ever won in a Grand Slam match. Stan was in command and he really looked comfortable with the conditions, the heaviness, the balls, and he even talked about it and impressed that he's like feeling good about things. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely on red alert about Stan and the potential for him to cause further problems in Paris. And also, if even if the conditions, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the heaviness will help Stan because he can hit through mud. He can hit through quicksand. You put him on anything, he's just so strong. He can hit. And remember, though, the year he did win, he hit 60 winners against Djokovic, and that was not a heavy day. That was a much quicker day. And also, I think, you know, you and I spoke earlier about some of the one-handed backhand guys still left in the draw, and I think out of all of those guys, you could make a case the high, heavy top spin to the backhand that he handles that as well or better than anybody with a one-handed backhand that's still standing. Yeah, you got the Dimitrov still in the mix, Sitsipas, Chekinato's in there, Dominic Team's got his one-hander. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think Stan, you know, the jury's out on who's got the best one-hander. For me, it is Stan, and Gasquet gets a lot of votes from a lot of people, but who's got the heaviest, meanest backhand? I think it has to be Stan, right? I agree with you, especially the ability to take it down the line. I mean, he can beat you down the line, even if he's five feet behind the base. You watch the best backhands down the line. Usually they're on top of the baseline or inside the baseline when they do it. This guy could be five, six feet down behind the baseline and drive it down the line. That's how strong he is. That's how good his backhand is. So I'm excited to see him come back, especially after Rome where he, I mean, he took a beating in that match and he, he shrugged it off. He came right back. Yeah. And it's also just good for the variety of the game when you see like you said, some of these one-hander, when you see Sitsipas in there, you see Dimitrov, who's never had a great, great run here, uh, doing well. It's it's exciting to see that. And another guy we didn't talk about, he doesn't have the one-hander, but Schwartzman, you know, Schwartzman put together a great Rome run, and he's another guy you got to kind of keep your eye on. So much to love about Diego Schwartzman and facing Norbert Gombos in the third round. That's a nice draw for him. And then after that, yeah, it could absolutely. be Sinego or Fritz. Fritz is a player you like, if I'm not mistaken. I do like Fritz. I like his attitude, and I think this is not a surface that would, you know, you would think his game, you know, he's a California guy, grew up on hard courts, but his attitude has been really good, and I think he's been willing to learn and willing to really work, because remember when he came out of the box in Memphis, and then it didn't immediately happen after that, a lot of people, well, maybe Fritz isn't that athletic enough, maybe he's not quick enough, maybe he doesn't, but he's just worked and worked and worked, and he's put together a really solid season, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe we can make mention briefly of the performance of the American men. We don't often give them much props or credit, but Jack Sock was good, though he did lose to Dominic Team. And there's another young guy, Sebastian Corda, into the third round. Sebi Corda, yep. And a dad, former Australian Open uh, champion, also French Open finalist. He played Courier that year. He was a hell of a player. I remember being at the Open the year he upset Pete Sampras at the U.S. Open. It was an incredible match. So he's definitely got the tennis DNA for sure. And he's a fun guy to watch, and the players really seem to like him. I remember before the Isner match, we are talking about hitting with him practicing. He's a really talented guy, so it's it's nice to see that. And he comes in. And right also look at the look at Sock and Doubles reuniting with Pospisil. They could do some damage together. I know Pospisil he's not a clay court guy, but still they won Wimbledon. They're a good team. It's it's great to see them back together. Absolutely. They've had some they put together some great memories, those two. But speaking sticking with Corda for a sec, comes in ranked two thirteen, absolute blank slate at the Grand Slam level, just lost his first rounder at the US Open. But um you see anything you like about his game? Well, I like that he can take the offensive against anybody, and he's not afraid to rip against anybody either. I like that he can be assertive and assert his game against anybody. I like that about him, and he, he's a big dude, too. He's a powerful guy. Six five one seventy Trains in Bradenton, Florida at IMG. Yeah, my sister lives down there in Bradenton. I always tell her to keep an eye out for him. Born on the 5th of July. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of a, a weird... Of <laughs> it's kind of a weird day to be born. Uh, but uh, probably better than the fourth because at least you have a holiday. If you if you end up hungover, you're you're yeah. good to go in the fifth. Yeah, just stay away from the fireworks if you're <laughs> please. Oh god, did I just I, I might have lost track of one handers we we're talking about? Um, a guy who has a great one hander from the left side is Denis Shapovalov. He's no longer in the tournament though after today. Tough loss for Shapo, especially served for it twice and uh, just couldn't get it done. Like we were talking about earlier, he really came in a lot, I think, with using He's tried to develop that part of the game, and we saw in New York when he made the corners, the quarterfinals, he did develop that a lot. But today you're coming in against a Spanish guy that many times, you know, you're bound to get to get past. It was a really tough physical five-hour uh, match. You know, tough, tough loss for Shapo, and then he had to turn around and play the doubles. He wasn't happy about that kind of ripping trashing the schedule makers but what are you going to do that's that's grand slam tennis yeah dennis is a little bit um peeved i guess a couple things yeah. went wrong he's i think when he was serving for it the first time maybe the second he was up 30 15 a ball looked to be long on the baseline he called the lines person out there to have a look or the umpire rather to have a look at the mark umpire decided it was good it was 30 all instead of 40 15 which would have been too much points Huge, huge turnaround, yeah. Which which is a perfect segue from the uh, obligatory conversation about Hawkeye on clay. That's all they talk about on television. Everybody's got different views. You got any feelings? You got to use it on every Grand Slam and every single Grand Slam. I mean, we're in the year 2020. I mean, you don't need a guy. I mean, first of all, to me, the problem is they a lot of times when you see the blown call, they get the wrong mark. Like that's inexcusable. You got to have the right mark. The other thing I'd like to see if they don't have it. If you're if I'm in the chair, I got to communicate with the lines person who called it. You identify the mark and you hold the mark so that when I come out there, you show me the right mark. I'm just amazed that they there never seems to be, I shouldn't say never, but there seldom seems to be the communication between the chair who's going to inspect the mark and the actual person that called the mark. Like cuz you're up in the chair, the person on the line should be able to sustain the mark, but they never seem to sort of communicate that. I mean to me it's it's insane that in 2020 at a grand slam with everything on the line 
line, all the points, all the history, all the money that you don't have that. I, it's just crazy. I don't. But yeah, hey, look, you and I have talked about this for years, even going back to the Serena, the football call at the U.S. Open. Like, you should be able to have that. Um, you should be able to check footballs, too. Yep. All that. And I mean, look, let's go back to the double bounce, the Laura Siegeman match, the double bounce match. And yeah. that wasn't called either, you know? So, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I, uh, to me, you you got to use it. You have to use it. I understand people say, hey, it's clay. There's nothing better than the real mark, but we've seen them. We've seen it. Botched and and it's a shame. It's a shame. I don't. The other thing on clay, you know, you've played on clay. The, every ball mark is not the same. A, a slice shot doesn't necessarily leave the same mark as a topspin shot or a flat shot. So it's always the determination. Well, what part of the edge is touching the mark? Which part? It's just too. Yeah, you know, it's just insane. Like, I, I, I don't. I had a thought today is because uh, Sitsipas talked about it in press also saying, why haven't they done this yet? I mean, I thought they should have had it done right now. And then the immediate reaction on social media is that you don't understand the margin of error. And I think people either believe that the margin of error would be smaller with with humans than with the technology. I don't know if there's any scientific study that really says anything about it, but I think what the players want and why so many of them seem to be for the Hawkeyes, they want certainty. They just don't want some guy coming down over the chair and like talking about a mark and then getting into an argument. It's all very stressful. They just rather have like call up to the Hawkeye. Let's get this on. It's either in or out and I'll move on and I'll be, I'll have some clarity instead like Shapovalov today had that he, he dealt with it pretty well i thought i mean yes he went on to lose the match but he didn't really he didn't really stick with it too long he didn't get a, like out of control he moved on later he found out what the replay showed and he was pissed and i guess i don't blame him it's just the way it goes but i think the players in the end with the point i'm trying to make is they want the clarity they want the certainty and they want the efficiency of a of a computer call Absolutely. It's exactly what you said. It's clarity and efficiency, and you want to get on with it because you still got to play after that call. So when it's still lingering in your, in your mind, it's like a hangover. You don't, you can't just shake it off. Also, when you're playing at every other slam with it, it's just weird not to have it. I mean, and yeah, it's true that there is a margin of error with Hawkeye, but there's also other systems out there, you know, so... Uh, and also that Hawkeye has been verified for Clay. When Hawkeye first came out, there was always that question, well, Clay, the, the, you know, the granule nature of the surface, it's a crushed red brick, that you can't quite, but everything I've heard from Hawkeye is that they, it's been refined. It should work. You put more cameras out there, and the uh, problem, if not solved, but at least alleviated, put it that way. Yeah, we'd miss the, the farcical nature of the people pointing at marks, different marks and whatnot, but yeah, I... I hate to say it. I'm usually like a purist, but I feel like the technology might be – it might be time for technology. It's going to happen at some point. But you know what we haven't done yet, Richard? We haven't talked about the women's draw, and it's been pretty awesome. So why don't you get us started? What's what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you talk about the uh, 32 players left in the women's singles draw? Well, to me, that Simona has picked up right where she left off uh, Prague and Rome and that you know she's looking like the really strong favorite to me. And – I'm not that I'm not shocked that Pliskova went out today because she she struggled at Western Southern. She struggled in New York, even though she got to the Rome final. She got hurt. She couldn't finish the final. She just didn't look like herself. She didn't look like she had that. Not that she's intense or emotional, but she just didn't look like she really truly believed. Mm-hmm. You know, Halep looks good. Although the next match is with uh, uh, Anna Samova, who beat her there last year that's going to be tough and also Mugu as a former champion still in there is going to be someone to watch we spoke earlier about Svitolina has had a nice little run it would be nice to see her 
do some damage. But I think it's it's a more open draw when you look at some of the some of the names that have fallen, some of the former Grand Slam champions like Serena out, Sloan out. I realize Sloan hadn't been playing well, but a lot of the people that you would think are conventional contenders are gone. So that opens a door for me. Someone like Ostapenko, not even seated, you know, former champion, hadn't even won a. Uh, Roland Garros match since she won the title in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, not to pound Pliskova and realize it's not a prime Pliskova, but she pounded her. She's got a nice section there. I think she can really put it together if her serve can hold up. Sometimes with that kick, she misses the. You know, she just gets on a bad patch with the serve. But as you said, she's playing doubles. She's getting her reps. She's showing the ability to come forward and finish at the net, which I thought was big for her. That's something Monica Sell has developed as she went on, and, and it's a similar type of really aggressive, hard-hitting player. So I think she she can do some damage there if she keeps it going. Mm -hmm. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. um, And the other thing, you and I were talking earlier, you know, to me, a match that, you know, it's not going to be a make or break match, but I'm really excited to see Layla Fernandez against Kvitova, the two lefties, two totally... Two totally different styles, and Petra Kvitova, you don't think of her as a clay court player, although she's had the great Madrid results in, in altitude before. She looks real good, and then this kind of conditions, as we talked about at the beginning, you know, heavy conditions where the ball isn't bouncing as high. She's a low ball, flat hitter, likes the low ball. Look at Wimbledon, her success with the low ball. I mean, she's someone that she could maybe put something together here. She's done. She's had one good run in the past, too, and people aren't really talking about her, and I think that that's kind of good for her. Yep, hasn't dropped a set. I think that's good for her. Hour 17 in her first-round win over Ocean Dodan, 6-3-7-5. Hour 24 today over Jasmine Paulini, 6-3-6-3. I mean, if you talk about the surface, the balls, the balls are heavier. She could have issues, you know, with long matches, maybe elbow, wrist, forearm, these kind of things, but she hasn't really run into any troubles yet. So, yeah, I think it looks good for the number seven seed. Um, we can get to Layla Fernandez, though. By the way, Petra's re- lifetime record, Roland Garros, now 25-10. and 10. It's not really that bad, and you're right. T- semifinals in 2012, she's a capable clay quarter, especially in these conditions, as you point out. But what about Layla Fernandez, 18 years old, last year's junior champion, into the third round? She's a... Pretty unique young talent, very focused, kind of a linear game, good mover, smart player, right? Really, really good mover, and also her, to me, her court sense that she, you know, she's speaking in press today about when she was growing up, she would watch soccer games with her dad, and her dad would point out, don't just watch the ball, look at for the open spaces where the players can anticipate where the opening is going to be, and I thought she gave a really smart answer about how watching soccer and the flow of the game and how people move, how that helped her develop a really shrewd and clever court sense on the tennis court because she anticipates really well and for someone who's kind of a slender slight you know she's a teenager she's not a woman you know as far as these other you know she's playing people 10 years and more older than her that she's able to stand in there against against some pretty heavy hitters and you know hold the line and really redirect the ball well i I really like her game and i like her attitude she seems like really 
pumped up to be there. She seems grateful to be out there. She seems like she likes to compete. You know, obviously you're going against one of the biggest biggest hitters out there in Petra, so that's going to be a really tough ask for her. Yeah. But I like what she's what she's shown us, and I like the way she competes. And also, she's a clever player. She'll throw in drop shots. She can hit short angles. She can take the backhand down the line. And just the lefty is always different for to face a lefty because of the the different uh, the different spin. And look, even right out of the box, remember that Fed Cup match against Benches when she played Bench. She gets up for her. these right. really really good players. I mean, I think she's the type of person that. You know, the better you are, the more that she gets psyched to play you. So I, she's someone I really like to watch. I like her game. You want to stick with Canada and look at wild card Eugenie Bouchard into the third round. It's a nice run for her, and she's coming up against Poland's Igis Fiontek, who's one of my favorite young players to watch and to talk to also. a um, really talented young kid that I think is going to do a lot over the next few years. Yeah, you're right. That's going to be a really, really good match and a tough match. And the winner will probably get Halep. I'm assuming Halep gets by Anna Samova, though, like we said earlier, she lost to her last year. Hey, Jeannie, you got to give her all sorts of credit. I mean, after the whole fiasco with, at the U.S. Open with the lawsuit, never, a lot of people, oh, she's going to take the settlement and go away and not play tennis. And not at all. She's come back. She's She looks rejuvenated, all the work she's done with Gil Reyes. She looks fit. She looks strong. She looks eager. She's, you see her impressed. She says the right things. Her attitude is good. And look, Gavrilova, I mean, that, that, was a good, that was a good match. It was a good test. She had to come back. She lost the first set in that match. Yeah. She had to suck it up and come back. You don't think of her... You don't think of that at Clay as her best service, but she's had a great run here previously. So, yeah, that's going to be a tough match, and it's hard to see either of them for me to get by Halep, but uh, you know, if you're a Jeannie Bouchard fan, you got to be really happy with the way, with the with the trajectory she's taking now. She seems to really have a plan. She seems to be focused. She has good people around her. She's doing the work, and and it's really nice to see. She's staying humble. Yeah, exactly. And she seems so gracious and grateful that they gave her the wild card. That she's not taking any of that for granted. She had a good tune-up coming in and she's doing the work and that's that's the thing she's yep. doing the work she's prepared and she's playing hard first final i think in four years she was in in istanbul so yeah good good trend for her I'd like to see her trending and up. she seems to be a little bit over the serving woes a little bit better than what we've seen you know we've seen a lot of big names really struggle you know even arani a former french open finalist with the whole toss thing was just it's just scary to see that you know you don't want to see anybody get the yips like that because it's hard to shake and even coco had you know has had a real second serve issues we saw it with zverev in in new york and previously so it's good to see her kind of get put that behind her yeah you know i think it's interesting to the, the dynamic that she's up against right now because people will say well she's ranked 168 in the world she's got nothing to lose but I think you and I know that she's got a lot to lose because if, you, if she can't really get back inside the top 100 shortly, you don't know how many wild cards. There's not an endless stream of wild cards everywhere for every player. So she's under some pressure to kind of up her game. And she's getting it done in, in an abbreviated year with not a lot of tennis. It's really impressive. So, I mean, It really is. And you don't sense any complacency in her like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and wait. She's trying to go take it. And that's what you like to see, especially in an individual sport like this. She's not waiting for a handout or waiting for someone to throw her a lifeline. She's putting it together on her own. It's it's really good to see that she's that energized and motivated to to to, uh, to, to get back to where she was. I mean, this girl was a top ten play. I mean, talking about someone who's a Wimbledon final. I mean, yeah. someone who's played at the highest level and succeeded at the highest level. And we've seen flashes in the past. You and I were talking earlier that that Sharapova match in Madrid a few years back, she came out like gangbusters in that match. Like, she would have took it to anybody in that. So when she gets her head 
in the right place, when she's in the right frame of mind, she's still dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I have a great stat that I need you to remind me about in a few minutes. But before you remind me about that great stat, I want to say we didn't really talk about Anisimova, who's dropped four games getting to this third-round matchup with Halep, beat Halep in 68 minutes last year in the quarterfinals, which was a huge shock at the time. She was 17. She's 19 now because the tournament is like 18 months after it was last year. But, I mean, 7-2 and two lifetime at Roland Garros. She is... I. She's impressed me. I kind of like she. She was an afterthought to me, and she has been for a lot of this year. But I mean, clearly, she's got something to prove. Both her matches, by the way, under an hour, dropping four games through two rounds. Yeah, very impressive. And I got to be totally honest, going into the draw, I didn't see a big second week run for her. Not that I don't respect. I have a lot of respect for her. How can you not respect someone who was in the semis last year? I just felt like everything she's been through with her dad passing last year, everything, all the the pain, all the struggles she's had to go through, I just thought it would be hard. And let's be honest, the results earlier this year just weren't there, but she's come in and played lights out. She's looked so good, so powerful, so confident, too. Uh, To me, the challenge in this match with Halep is going to be she really burned Simona with that backhand down the line you know last year and I think Halep's going to really go after the forehand this time and and not let her beat her with the backhand but Anna Samova is a powerhouse she hits the hell out of the ball and if she has time to stand and set her feet I mean she can hit with anybody so Halep's really got to be vigilant she's got to move her side to side she's got to throw the drop shot in drag her in at time she's got to just constantly move her if you let her stand and set you know you're I mean, Halep knows better than all of us. She got beat by, she got pounded by her last year. So, so that's yeah. going to be exciting. I definitely favor Halep. How can you not? Of based course. on this streak she's on, but like you said, I mean, she really took it to her last year, and that, you know, that's a thing that you carry a lot of confidence from that. She knows she can beat her. She already has. So yeah. that, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'd love to see like a five-minute um, technological breakdown of Anisimova's strokes, spe- specific, especially the backhand, because it's such a great shot. And I think it's predicated all on timing or something, but I don't know how she hits it so clean and so well. She doesn't look that intimidating when you look at her. Uh, you know, she's she's a little bit wiry, you know, kind of thin. Doesn't look like a powerhouse, but she hits the meanest ball, one of the meanest balls on tour. Yeah, her backhand, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, it really is. And people always draw the comparisons with Sharapova. She, I mean, she really hits a ball clean. And she's still so young. And, you know, to have these kind of experiences in majors where you're going against a Grand Slam champion the second year in a row, even if she loses the match, it's still a great, great learning experience. It's all upside Good for point. her, I think, in the future. She's just going to get better and better and stronger. Good point. All right, that's stat. I'm going to remind myself and now say it. There are eight players in the women's singles draw in the round of 32 ranked outside of the top 100 there's another one Layla Fernandez ranked at 100 so there's nine of the 32 players are 100 or lower it's a crazy stat that so many people I frankly am not that familiar with Nadia Podoroska um, Pirankova is back in the mix we're familiar with her but um, a lot of different players Clara Burrell of France who upset Sloane Stevens. there's a little bit of a, a wide open unknown element in some of these sections of the draw for sure yeah, that's it's a really good point because now when you look at the draw, you know we're tending to look at well, who are the former Slam champs in? But look at uh, Vondrasova last year. We've seen in Paris, especially a lot of times, the unheralded players come through. I mean, it, it, you know, it can happen. It definitely can happen. Yeah, uh, Irina Bara of Romania, who's playing Sofia Kennan. I know very little about her. 
Um, there's uh, Barbora Krejcikova. I know her, of course, as a double star with Sinyakova. They've won multiple slams, but I don't know her much as a singles player at all. And then there's Anna Karolina Shmidlova, who I really like and I know pretty well, but she's had her difficulties over the years. It's nice to see her get a win over Venus and then follow it with a big upset over Victoria Azarenka in the second round. Boy, I got to be honest, I did not see the Azarenka. I knew the Venus because she'd already beaten Venus. And, you know, Venus at her age, it's hard on, on Clay, especially with her kind of game to shorten up the points. So I wasn't that shocked because she'd already beaten Venus. But the Azarenka match, that really impressed me. Plus, she took that tumble in the second set where she went down. You're thinking, gosh, maybe she's physically, maybe she's banked up. She climbed right off the court and just finished the job. I mean, she took it too. Azarenka was a red-hot player coming in here. And she... To me, like she almost beat the desire out of her. I mean, she looked kind of flat at the second set of that match because it was still tight. And uh, uh, boy, I was really impressed with Shmilova. She hits the ball beautifully. Like you were saying about Amanda earlier, she hits the ball beautifully. She hits the ball really, really clean. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting because I haven't seen a lot of uh, Potoros the next match, but she's Argentinian. She's a clay core player. It'll be an interesting match. Plus, the added pressure, now you're expected to win this match. You just took out two Grand Slam champions in a row, and you looked really good doing it. Now yeah. the pressure all shifts to her, and that's a different kind of pressure. So let's see what happens. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be fun to see who comes out of that section because it's either going to well, be... Like you said, Polanco, I mean, it's a great, great run back-to-back, you know. Amazing, just amazing how she's been able to come back really, really total respect for her yes and look at look what she did with serena and even though she lost the match in new york she was right there she played a lights out first set she played a great first set yep i mean she's going to get her ranking up close to 100 now just in these two slams alone it's fantastic for her to you know become a part of the tour a little bit more which is cool but so we got schmidlova versus Podoroska, krichikova versus pirankova those four players one of those is going to be a quarter finalist and that's uh, i mean you have to favor schmidlova and pirankova and then see them potentially meeting in the round of 16 but it's going to be fun to watch just to see somebody break through that that hasn't done it before could be some tears when uh, when when one of those players reaches the quarterfinals and also the dynamic uh, you know i think also that you see there's some big hitters left we spoke about kavitova we spoke about a little bit about mugu she plays danielle collins next but also someone like sabalenka who's never really done well uh you know she's still standing in singles and doubles so you have the power players there and then you have players who you know sakari hits the ball well she can serve big and then you have this you know the speed players the control players like halep who, who really move the ball well around the court. Svitolina, they move well. So that's where the conditions, I think, come in because you would think theoretically the heavier conditions would, would favor the power plays, but you just don't know on that day. And you also you don't know when the roof comes into play either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we look at someone like Petra beneath a roof. I mean, obviously indoors it's mostly hardcore, but beneath a roof she's really, yeah. really tough. That's true. Definitely a powerhouse beneath the roof. Yeah. Um, if we go up and down the women's draw, it's kind of kind of fascinating. You got the 2017 champ Ostapenko down there in the second round. You got two-time Grand Slam champion Kvitova playing Leila Fernandez in that lower half. You got Kennan, who just won the Australian Open in that lower half. Muguruza, the 2016 RG champ in that half. Then you go up. You mentioned Sabalenka's playing Ons Jabour, which could be a fun match. Mertens is in there. Svitolina, who you talked about briefly in that top half, and then Kiki Burtons. Jeez, I don't even. If we start talking about her match with Sarah Ronnie, we're yeah. going to be here for another hour. Sakari's yeah, in there. A, a separate 
good episode. We talk about that. Forget it. Just Google it, you guys, because we're not even going to talk about it because we don't have the time. But, I mean, Burton's is still alive after the full body cramp and all the drama in that match. And then, of course, Simona Halep, the 2018 champ. There's a lot of big names. There's a lot of crazy lower-ranked players. It's like a total total mix, a total... uh, Potpourri, I guess you could say. So it's fun. It's going to be cool. Uh, you, I know you wanted to hit on a subject called, uh, like turnarounds, players that kind of like really were horrible in New York and kind of have bounced back and got some redemption to Paris or maybe guys like Stan that kind of, you know, bit it in Rome and now here they are looking fine and a totally different, let's face it, Rome and Paris more than ever before are like two different planets and two, like they're like totally different exactly. surfaces, you know? Exactly right. Yeah, especially Rome, you had the really super hot weather, 80s and low 90s, and the ball was really jumping. And now you come here where the ball just sinks. And I think that's why, to me, it was so crucial that, uh, you know, Sitsipas came back because he lost in Rome and, you know, he lost to a really, really talented player. But after, you know, basically the implosion in, in, uh, in New York for him to come back as he has, I mean, I realize it's not the second week yet, but still to come back and get to this point, I think that was really, really key. And I thought Cuevas would give him a tougher match, but he suffocated Cuevas today. Cuevas is a good player. Mm-hmm. I know he's never, I know he's never had much success against Steph, but still, that's a really, really good win for him just from a psychological standpoint, because you look, uh, it could have snowballed on him, I think, yeah. you know, after that. that That's a devastating loss he took in New York. Nice to see him come back. And I think the one-handers, we spoke earlier about the contrast, but also the slice on this surface when it's when it's really cold and damp and the ball isn't bouncing the slice can be can be a factor you just Absolutely. keep the ball low the guys guys trying to hit balls you know off your uh, shoelaces or ankle high ball it's really tough to control the ball that low so yeah. that's something we'll see going forward although i've seen stuff really flatten out the backhand too some of those backhand rallies where he's really flattened it out and he's been willing to go for it yeah, it's good to see. I'd love to see him go up against Dimitrov and see how that goes. But got another match to get to that if it happens. Yep, you're talking about a potential round of 16 with Tsitsipas and Dimitrov. A beautiful, beautiful match that would be. I think my parting shot, because I think we're going to cut it short in a few minutes, my parting shot is, well, man, the guys who played the final in Hamburg, I, we were all sitting there going, these guys made the stupidest decision ever when they were both down two sets to love uh, a couple of days ago, and they both showed a ton of grit to get through and to still be in this tournament. That's Andre Rublev, who won the tournament, his biggest title ever, and Tsitsipas. That that was phenomenal. I mean, it, we were looking at it thinking everybody's got their hopes up because they're playing so well on clay, and we're thinking, oh, my God, these guys are both going to be out within, like, hours of each other. And then they both won their both for the first time from two sets down. It was fantastic. It shows that some hey, of these young guys... Query sure for that match. I mean, Sam Query has a huge first serve that Rublev was able to keep his head in and come through that. That's a big-time win. And also that Rublev, you don't think of him as a clay. Not that he can't play on clay, but you don't think of that as his best surface just because of his game. He hits so hard, his game style. You don't think of it as can do. He's shown me a lot. I mean, he's shown me a lot the last two years, but that that's a really, really strong effort. He's got a Spanish coach. Guy really knows how to play. The guy's helped him a lot. So uh, he's going to be a really exciting player to go forward who would have you know and look at look what happened to medvedev it could have it could have went the other way for rublev and he just refused to lose that match yeah you're right medvedev who falls to 0-4 lifetime at roland garros and rublev by the way was 0-1 lifetime here and he hadn't played since 2017 he said he was so nervous in that first match against query but he got through it and now he's got kevin anderson next so I mean, actually, he's looking like a potential quarterfinalist. I mean, I would say with Anderson next and then the winner of Fucevic, who's deceptive and tough, and Montero, you know, he's got a shot. Yeah, 
It's got a shot. Yeah, and the one guy we haven't spoke as much about, although we have a lot, you and I together, is Sinner. I love Sinner's no, game. No. I love his demeanor, his composure, and he started with Goffin, and Goffin is an exceptional clay court player. You've seen what he can do in Monte Carlo. You saw him his first year as a lucky loser, Rolling Garros, what he can do for him to just totally, totally just take Goffin out of that match. I mean, he looked like a veteran out there. That kid's going to be a big-time player, I think. He just handles himself like he belongs. He's not afraid of anybody. And he's another guy. The, the better the opponent, the more he brings it. And uh, it's going to be so much fun to watch him. And all the Italian guys with uh, Musetti, with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Berrettini, all those guys, they just have a whole wave coming almost. Maybe it'll be like the old Spanish Armada. We'll have to wait and see. I don't want to put that much pressure on him. But he, that kid's the real deal, no doubt about it. Yeah, he's he's been... Wow, he's just been really composed with what he's doing he's just flown up the rankings and he's got Guillermo Correa's younger brother in the third round yeah, which is, which is yeah, kind of 16 strange. years after Guillermo Correa could have won the, and should have won now let's see if the brother can uh, can keep going it's a great effort for him too mm. yeah tons of cool stuff anything uh, final parting shot from you before we call it a day uh, you know, the one match, I mean, it, it won't be remembered when this tournament's gone, but the thousand, the match when she beat Jennifer Brady, she played great. And then, you know, she lost the next round, but she, she showed a lot, that girl, really showed a lot in that match. Um, no, I can't really think of anything parting, just that I, I think it's going to be, I think we are going to see Novak Rafa. That's what everybody wants to see. I think we will see that, but we're going to, we're going to see some adventures before we get to that. I don't, I think, I think Novak's going to get through relatively, uh, Quick, you could say Rafa has a tougher job, but Rafa looks like Rafa. He looks like he's ready to roll, and I don't, I don't think they're going to stop him before the final. Yeah, we can get back together maybe in a few days and discuss it a little bit. Uh, we'll track their progress and talk about it again. So, so you know, we can leave it there and uh, look forward to third round action tomorrow. And I'll say, Richard, it's been a pleasure. Let's do this again soon. Um, appreciate you chatting with me. It was fun. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to week two. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining and bantering about Roland Garros 2020. It's been fun. It will continue to be fun. You guys, if you like the podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Just go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila. You can also find us on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. Also, check us out on the web, www.tennisnow.com. Uh, check us on social at facebook.com slash tennisnow, at tennis underscore now on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Love to share these good times with you. A couple weeks of clay court tennis left. Let's enjoy it, and let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening, everybody.